Hunter Buffington. Welcome to Hemp Barons. Thank you so much for having me, Joy. I'm really excited for our conversation today. It's so wonderful to have you because you, who have been so involved with the hemp industry and the emerging hemp industries for a number of years now, are doing some of the most important work, not just for the country, but for the entire planet. You're executive director of the Hemp Feed Coalition. And let's talk uh, for a minute about what the Hemp Feed Coalition is and why it was, why it was even conceived. Why do we have to have a Hemp Feed Coalition, Hunter? Ah, so many reasons. Um, but let's start with what our mission is um, and then how we came to be born. And it's a great opportunity to talk about why we're here as well. So the Hempy Coalition's primary mission is to gain federal legal approval for hemp as an animal feed ingredient. So this is hemp in all of its corresponding byproducts, which is really important because our secondary mission, and, and this really speaks to stabilizing the supply chain, making sure that our farmers do actually um, make a living and also highlighting hemp as a viable agriculture commodity. And that's taking the next step of commoditizing those wastes and byproducts that come from the hemp industry by utilizing them as animal feed. So that's a very exciting way to really consider hemp maturing into that agriculture commodity that we all want it to be. So the formation of the Hemp Feed Coalition, and um, this is a tale that goes back to 2015. And, and in fact, Joy, when you and I met, um, this was a program underneath the Colorado Hemp Industries Association. And the reason it had been a program is because the Colorado legislature had actually passed a bill that would allow for hemp to be fed to animals. Um, and this is something I'm sure we're going to talk about with the exciting legislation that just came out of Montana but our feed control officials and our FDA regulators here in Colorado um, pumped the brakes on that legislation and said, unfortunately, state legislation can't supersede that federal legal approval. And so after the legislature was so enthusiastic, that bill, in fact, turned into a stakeholder study group to identify the resources and the pathway to gaining that federal legal approval. That stakeholder study you can actually find on our hempfeedcoalition.org website. It lays out all of the steps and also lists the amazing group of experts, of regulators, policymakers, animal feed experts, livestock experts, and of course, hemp experts that came together to complete that stakeholder study. Once the study was published, I'm sure you can imagine that all of this momentum that had been brought together through this study, it didn't have anywhere to go. And it was such an important aspect of bringing hemp online into that commodity space that the Hemp Feed Coalition was then born and became a program of COHIA. And it wasn't uh, until 2020 that the Hemphy Coalition became its own formalized nonprofit. And that really happened because as we began to move forward, there was clear leadership and a lot of opportunity for us to work with legislators, regulators, and policymakers, and researchers to actually get this work done. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about what the application really looks like. 
but there was a real need for this to be the focus, the mission um, of an organized group, because it is in fact so complex and, and takes so long to gain that federal approval. So that's why the Humphrey Coalition exists. And um, we're definitely making inroads, but it is quite a process. And in fact, let's take a moment to just back up a little bit for our listeners and give the, because you and I are so aware when we say it's complex, it takes so long. It's such a tremendous undertaking. Let's give them, if we could, a little idea of what we're talking about. And if you would um, just explain that the way the application process works in, in our developed country and in other developed countries is that we here in the United States are, are just as uh, picky or as or a better word or more appropriate word is concerned with the safety and quality of what is put into an animal's mouth as we are with what is put into a human's mouth. And so if you could just explain to the listeners the each of the species that each ingredient needs its separate application for and sort of the average price of an application. And you're probably understanding here that the gist I'm trying to uh, get out there to our audience, um, Hunter, is is really the complex nature and, and organized structured nature of what we need to do just to get a single ingredient for a single species approved in the United States of America. Right. Um, and so when we think about how we came to be at this place where hemp is not considered a legal feed ingredient, we have to look back at history and about prohibition. And so the reason that we came to this place is because prohibition was enacted at the same time that the FDA was formed and the Food, Drug and Cosmetic Act was put into place. So when all of the processes for guaranteeing and ensuring consumer safety and food safety for both people and for animals, all of that happened when hemp was prohibited. So this explains a big reason why there's such a, a gap in the research that's necessary to prove food safety. And, and I'll touch on that a little bit more. So the way that we work on ensuring an ingredient is um, safe and approved to be used in human food and animal food is very similar. On the human food side, there's a food application process. On the animal feed side, there's a feed application process. And what I think is really important for our listeners to know is that it is just as rigorous, uh, if not potentially more rigorous, and I'll explain why, to get a food approval as it is to get a feed approval. And the reason why is because each species has to go through a clinical feed trial in order to show safety and efficacy of that ingredient. We also have to determine based on the category or classification of that animal, whether it's human or a different species, how that animal is in fact eating that material and what byproducts for human or for animals would potentially enter the human food chain. So there's a whole lot of complexity when it comes to how do we even determine what species and what classification should go through a, a clinical feed trial. The easiest way for me to explain that is to think of our recent application, which is the first ever submission for hemp seed cake and meal to be fed to laying hens. 
So we couldn't even submit an application for chickens, let alone poultry. It had to be an application specifically for that animal classification. So only laying hens are included on this first application. The other thing to share with folks is that because of that prohibition, we don't really have a, a good metallurgical understanding of hemp as an ingredient. When we first began having conversations with FDA, uh, Center for Veterinary Medicine, about what they needed to see in an application, the normal application process requires five to seven non-consecutive lot number analysis. And what that means is we have to take those samples. So let's continue to talk about the seed cake and, and seed meal. So we would have to look at those five to seven non-consecutive lot numbers for all of the nutritional content, what it is we intend to utilize the feed source for. So for that meal and cake, it's a protein supplement. So we have to do a really deep look at the amino acid content. We also have to look at contaminants of concern, make sure that they are below any action limits or thresholds for heavy metals, for microbials and microtoxins. And then we also had to be able to present the cannabinoid profile. So in having that conversation with FDA, CVM, they also expressed that they had concerns that the varietal the geographical location, farm processes, and um, processing and manufacturing was going to create a, a, an ingredient that was not really homogenous, that it would be inconsistent. And we couldn't simply put forth and say, here's the amount of protein, here's the amount of fat, here's the cannabinoid profile for this ingredient, hemp seed meal and cake. So in addition to that five to seven non-consecutive lot number, they have asked us to also present a statistically relevant data sample from across the United States with different varietals, different farm practices and processes that shows that the ingredient is homogenous. And this homogeneity is something that is required for any other feed ingredient. But again, because we've not been able to grow or process hemp in the United States until that very first farm bill came into action in 2015, we don't have the understanding of hemp as a byproduct, as an ingredient, or even and this is something that we're still struggling with today, have the laboratory methods approved to investigate these ingredients either. So this request for additional information to show that each ingredient is consistent across the United States has, is really cumbersome and is not even touching on the clinical feed trials that we have to do for each of those species. This is literally the first step in creating the portfolio and the application. And this is the real job that the Hemphy Coalition is doing with meal and cake. We're also working on oil, pulp. We're looking at hulls, screenings and fines, really identifying where there's the best opportunity for these byproducts to become viable feed ingredients. 
Yes. And I, and I so can't help it. You know, every time I hear byproduct, I'm like, she means co-product, you guys, she means co-product. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. When we think of, you know, that seed meal and seed cake and the seed oil, um, those are definitely co-products. I think when we think about screenings and fines, I, I would say that would be a byproduct. Oftentimes, you know, it's 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 so getting into sort of the the crosshairs of what is waste stream versus you know, yes. uh, it's just Andrea Herman and I have all these years been like, guys, hemp doesn't have any byproducts. We only have co-products, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's all in that in in sort of just trying to be uh, that ambassador. And you're absolutely right; there are legitimate waste stream that we are making byproducts with. You know, yeah. I, I think on top of all of the complexities and challenges that you that you have outlined and. And by the way, uh, talk about the heroic work of the Hemp Feed Coalition guys, because there's no way out of this but through. And an organization yeah. is taking it on and going through these steps because we have to go through these steps. It's just tremendously tedious, focused work uh, that you're doing. But of those many challenges, you you touched upon, of course, one of the more important ones, and that is when we are talking about, you know, methodologies, particularly in this emerging, developing, thank you, prohibition, uh, as she said right. sarcastically, for <laughs> for arresting the development of cannabinoid research that the whole planet is now in this tremendous rush uh, to to define. But one of the major concerns, whether it is a residual from decades of, of the very effective social engineering hysteria propaganda campaigns of the devil's lettuce, or whether there is some legitimate safety concern, um, the issue of bioaccumulation of cannabinoids, and of course, in particular, the intoxicating cannabinoid, delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, or commonly known as THC, uh, in, of course, the bioaccumulation of that within the animal that is then fed to the human. And, and we don't even have really these solid uh, methodologies yet. Certainly um, AOAC has created a wonderful global group that uh, is worked on, I think, 17 of these cannabinoids, but, uh, you know, in certain products, not, not in absolutely everything. So right. it, it's really quite a challenge. Um, and yet here you are uh, putting putting one foot in front of the other, the Hemp Feed Coalition, and doing this tremendous work. Could you also, for the listeners, before you um, continue with what is a very complex and fascinating uh, a subject of going through these applications, um, could you just give a high level of the different species, the pigs, cattle, poultry, and then explain why there were certain cl classifications within them, such as, for example, as you underscored, this, this beautiful application that went in, it's not for the entire poultry category. It's for the laying hen classification within poultry. But if you could give us the high level of those species categories. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and, and fantastic introduction to what we're trying to overcome with these methodologies and, and the fact that um, a tincture or a, a CBD oil is not the same matrix as a hemp seed or hemp grain product. And, and this is where we have troubles just extrapolating these methods. So when we think about the categories of species, it's making that connection for long-term use. You mentioned the bioaccumulation. 
Um, that's, of course, a concern when we think about the lifetime that a laying hen is actually going to be in production versus how long a broiler chicken is actually going to be eating or consuming that hemp before they're harvested. So that's a great way to think about those different classifications. Um, I think the easiest way to think about it is to, to consider cattle. So when we think about beef cattle, there's really two sides to that industry. There's the finishing side where it's a shorter life cycle and we go um, from weaning to production to finishing and round backing to harvesting. And then you've got your cow-calf pairs where that mama is going to have, you know, maybe 10 or more calves over her life cycle and her health and well-being is a direct component of the health and well-being of that that calf. And then when we think about the dairy cow, that is a whole different aspect of the industry because not only is she going to have a much longer life cycle producing those calves, but then her animal byproduct, again back to that byproduct cuz it, it would be a co-product with the calf, right? <laughs> but her byproduct is then that milk. And that's where we start to have concerns over cannabinoid transference, like you mentioned. When we think about the way that cannabinoid residue travels in the body, we know that it's hydrophilic, it's fat loving. So there has to be some investigation into how does a, those cannabinoids transfer into milk or eggs versus a muscle tissue. And you can see where FDA CVM, it has some concerns and, and really wants to see the data and the science to show that it's safe and effective. But Joy, here's one of the problems that we've encountered with our research. And that is that FDA, and this is both on the human side and the animal side, has long been trying to establish toxicity with this plant. And we've had trouble establishing toxicity in any of our clinical feed trials because even at a 30% inclusion, and, and mind you, um, most animals are like humans where if you gave them um, a third of their diet in only one material, uh, they're not very excited about it. Imagine that. So they don't eat enough of the hemp material to get anywhere near establishing toxicity or even um, health concerns. So this has actually been a problem for us in proving safety because we don't have those established toxicities. We're working really hard to ensure that we have done enough clinical trials with enough species that we can show this safety. And even at two times the intended feed rates that we're investigating right now. But that's another way to understand why this is so complex is how do we determine what um, the, the bioaccumulation is for a laying hen versus a broiler chicken, and then be able to say that those limits are appropriate to compare to a dairy cow or a beef cow when those categories are so very different. Man, so hugely <laughs> and articulately and, and with specificity. And, uh, and again, you know, I'm, I'm pulling the silver linings here out, uh, guys. Uh, so, so silver lining. We live in a country that is very concerned with health and safety of what goes into our mouths and into the mouths of animals. Um, in fact, uh, will you 
sort of elaborate when you said, gee, it can actually even be more complex with animals. And and I may be off here. And, and so, sister, you will please correct me to the extent I'm misspeaking in, in my own elaboration of, uh, of this particular aspect. And that is uh, mad cow disease. You know, that was such a, uh, a tremendous um, issue and crisis in the nation, this, this mad cow perceived or otherwise. And as a result of, of that mad cow disease, uh, much more strict uh, regulations were put in place to the point now where you could actually, if you wanted to find out what a certain cow ate at 930 in the morning on September 3rd, you know, 2011, there's a record that will tell you that what, what went into that cow's belly at 930 a.m. on September 3rd, 2011, you know, so crazy yeah. stuff like that. So Ed, could you elaborate on on that piece of it? Yeah, so let's talk about the clinical trials in a little more detail, because I think that's really where folks will understand how it is that, that we're trying to establish that safety. Um, the, the first aspect of the clinical trials goes right back to that ingredient profile, though. So what does an approved ingredient look like? Again, looking for homogeneity, consistency in protein content, fat content, um, all of those contaminants. And then what is the intended use that we have for that product? Is it a protein supplement specifically for finishing? Is it um, for increasing access to high quality fatty acids, which is one of the really attractive reasons that hemp as an animal feed, especially those oil products, and even our meal and cake with that 10% uh, fat is really attractive. So when we think about the clinical trials, we have worked really hard to identify principal investigators as well as a technical advisory group for the Hemp Fee Coalition. And that is incredibly important because while a lot of researchers are very excited about doing feed trials with hemp, most of them are not aware of how rigorous the FDA CBM um, wants the clinical trials to be done. And so I did mention that there's three rations plus a control ration. So the way that FDA CVM sets it up is that there is an X, which is the portion um, of the ration that you're going to feed this material. That's your intended inclusion rate, how much you think that um, is going to be beneficial for the animal. They also want us to investigate a 2X. Again, the goal is to determine if there's toxicity with that ingredient. And then a 0.5X, and that's to give them um, a real production capacity number for comparison. And then we also have to do the control group. Oftentimes control is gonna be the more typical feed source that provides that protein supplementation. Not surprisingly, soy is often uh, a good protein supplement. There's other oil seeds that'll provide that as well. And then on top of that, the request is for a statistically relevant sample size. That's 27. Um, I generally like to round up to 30 just because it's easier for people to think of, of, of numbers in 30 rather than 27. But that means 120 individuals in a controlled environment where any of the variables that could affect health, well-being, or mortality can be strictly monitored. When you think about a poultry 
uh, clinical feed trial, you can imagine that that is also going to be, you know, four to 12 weeks at, at a maximum for 120 chickens being fed this hemp. It's faster. It's less expensive. When we think about 120 beef cattle going through this trial, we have to think of that in terms of months, not weeks. And then you start thinking about the cost of those individuals to go through the trial. And these are things that um, most researchers really don't want to prevent publication or being able to move forward with the research so that they can meet this rigor by FDA CVM. So those folks who have become principal investigators working with the Hemp Coalition and um, building those relationships with our American Association of Feed Control Officials and our FDA CVM scientists are incredibly important to moving this forward. And it really is a group project. One thing that I like to share with folks, though, is that if you look at the entirety of the submission that we present to FDA CVM, 80% of it is on the ingredient profile and 20% is actually the safety and efficacy, which again, makes that even more expensive when you think about, you know, 120 beef cows for what is 20% of the final submission. So we're working right now, um, because we've done this initial submission with meal and cake, I am working with Murray State to complete an additional trial so that we can meet the higher number of animals for all three rations for broiler chickens. We're also working here with Dr. Archibek at Colorado State University on a hemp seed meal fed lamb trial. And then there's researchers that are at Tuskegee University, that's Dr. Abrahamson and Dr. Garung. They're working on goats. My hope is that those clinical trials are going to be completed in enough time for us to submit additional species to the meal and cake definition and profile that we've already submitted. My other hope is that uh, we'll be able to identify a champion to help fund research for horses fed hemp seed oil. And we're working on that ingredient profile right now. Um, and then I'm sure everyone's really excited about the work that Oregon State is doing on that pulp material. And so we're also partnering with them to move forward in building this portfolio. And remember, that's not only those five to seven non-consecutive lot numbers, but it's this additional sample size of 40 certificates of analysis from across the United States. This is where this is a project led by the hemp industry for the hemp industry and not for, you know, um, a big feed formulator who obviously has the resources and could do this. Instead, that's one of the important things about the Hemp Feed Coalition is that we as the hemp industry are going to be setting and defining this ingredient. So Hunter, among those very many important details, and I know they seem tedious, but they're so critical. What can we take away from all that you just shared with us? Yeah, I'm so excited to to really try and, and put a bow on this because what I really want everyone to know is that we're developing these ingredient profiles. Meal and cake is done and in the hands of FDA CVM. And my goal is to add additional species categories to that application by the end of the year. So getting those broiler hens up there partnered with the laying hens 
adding small ruminants, lambs and goats this year uh, is another big goal that we have, as well as moving forward with a new ingredient definition for oil and investigating its opportunities for horses. And then working with OSU, Oregon State University, to develop the profile profile for pulp. So not only additional ingredients, but really being able to add some more species so that they can be fed this, this meal and cake material as soon as possible. So you almost, on top of everything else, sister, you're an engineer, uh, literally <laughs> figuring out how can we take all of these moving parts and make them work together efficiently to advance the mission of the Hemp Feed Coalition and to advance the overall goal, which is to prove the safety and efficacy of these ingredients that we know so well are nutritious uh, to our, our various animals. And, and also wanted to... Um, talk about, and this will dovetail into what happened in Montana uh, and how the different states could move forward uh, replicating the, the revolutionary piece of legislation that occurred there. But as we talk about these different applications for all these different species, here in the United States, the FDA, or AFCO as it were, will allow us to combine cats and dogs and horses. Why will they allow us to combine cats and dogs and horses in an application per ingredient, and it won't allow us to do that with these other species? Absolutely. Great question, Joy. So it really comes down to pet versus production animals. So our pets uh, don't ever enter the, the food stream, and so they don't have the same kind of qualifications to prove safety and efficacy as our production animals. And the production animals, when we think about their life cycle, even those laying hens will often end up um, in our soup bowl at the end of, of their life cycle. So it's important to FDA CVM that when we talk about the, the residual cannabinoids and any potential bioaccumulation, that we understand what the impact is um, on those animal byproducts that will eventually enter the human food stream. So there's more rigor associated with those classifications of species than there is with our pets, who our primary concern with our pets is going to be their well-being and health, with the exception of performance horses. That's another area we could talk about all day. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. And then when we talk about what different states can do, could you explain to the listeners the piece of legislation that was just passed and signed by the governor uh, in the state of Montana as it relates to feed? Absolutely. So this is really exciting legislation. You know, I mentioned when we were talking about the formation of the Hemp Feed Coalition that Colorado had attempted to do the same thing in, in 2017. The big difference with what has happened in Montana is that there was much more support from the governor. We do also have a better understanding of hemp as an animal feed ingredient than we did in 2017 when we tried to accomplish this in Colorado. What I'm hearing, not just from Montana, but from other states, is that there is a real concern over having adequate feed sources because of fires, droughts, and floods across the United States. 
so a lot of states have reached out to me to ask how they can access uh, these co-products that are, are just sitting in storage. This is where we're thinking about the meal and cake and the pulp material. And that's because there's a real need for this, this feed source. When we think about the legislative opportunity that Montana um, just exercised, it was putting in place the opportunity to feed hemp ingredients and co-products to the pet side of, of the industry. There is a lot less formalization for the legality of feeding pets than there is for the production animals because they do enter the human um, food stream. So that's where their primary concern is. One of the things that I think is really important about the Montana legislation is not just that it's the first one, but that it provides an opportunity for the industry to work together. If Montana passes this bill and moves forward with hemp as an animal feed ingredient, but it can't cross state lines, have we really helped hemp as an agricultural commodity? What I would say to the industry is that there is huge opportunity here for us to work together to put in rules and statue making that will create this opportunity across the United States and not just have each state working in a silo, which is really what we're seeing with a lot of the food rulemaking and promulgation. Um, right, Joy, when you think about what's happening across the United States, I would love to see us working more consistently together state by state for good rulemaking that allows for interstate and interstate commerce. You're, you know, you've so hit the nail on the head and it's quite fascinating to me because you know, clearly the FDA has stated it is not lawful to uh, market. It's their position statement. It's their guidance position. If this were actually the law, we'd all be in a, a completely different situation here in the United States. We wouldn't have this burgeoning cannabinoid or hemp extract or CBD uh, industry for for humans um, or for animals, as it were, because the guidance position of the FDA says it is not lawful to market uh, CBD as a dietary supplement or a food additive. And yet, because it is a guidance position, of course, uh, many states are are moving forward just as they are with adult use or medical cannabis. Clearly, the feds have, that's completely illegal at the federal level, yet we see, because of states' rights within the Constitution that affords each state its own rights, them moving forward. We see them also moving forward in this nearly untenable, however glorious patchwork of state <laughs> laws and regs uh, with regard to, you know, hemp extract or CBD for humans. Um, and it does certainly beg the question of why aren't we doing that for animals as well? And ideally, um, and, and certainly we see Montana moving forward with that. And the bill has been passed. It, it was signed, in fact, by the governor, you know, on April 11th. Uh, but that important distinction where Montana said, hey, we're willing to move our state line in the sand for pets, but we are not willing to move our state line in the sand for ag feed. That's that's a, a major distinction, of course, that you were that you were making and a major distinction that that exists and, and for folks to, to need to understand that. Um, but certainly in a perfect world, the states would work together and coordinate. And some do, as you well know, like there are states that are sort of used to working together. I noticed that New York tends to check in with Florida on stuff. You know, <laughs> um, they've got a relationship. 
relationship. They've got a thing. And so, but ideally, yes, to unroll this in a way that is going to provide economic stability for our farmers, create the most reliable jobs and and set the entire industry up for success, we would do that more uniformly. Um, And certainly the the Hemp Feed Coalition is doing a wonderful job, as are so many of our other nonprofit groups, trying to send that message with the lawmakers and the regulators that we're speaking with. Can I ask you this? Could you could you share with our listeners? Because this is such when we say coalition, I mean, it really we're talking about academia, lawmakers, regulators, private industry, public industry, the whole bit, but maybe some of the highlights of the of the folks or groups that you're working with, the stars, so to speak, that you are allowed to disclose for the listeners that are uh, on on the Hemp Feed Coalition train. Absolutely. And and it's unfortunate that we're not on video because I was just nodding along with you during that whole last statement, Joy. There's so many things that you you hit on that I think are important for the industry to know. And um, it's one of the reasons that I'm really proud to lead this coalition is because we do have the support of those regulators and policymakers That goes to our departments of agriculture. I work closely um, here in Colorado with our Department of Ag. Those researchers, um, a quick hit list of our principal investigators, because we cannot do this work without them. Um, We've got Dr. Phillips, North Carolina State University, working on horses. We've got Colorado State University with Dr. Archibek and those lambs. Tuskegee, I mentioned, uh, Dr. Garung and Dr. Abrahamson working on those lambs. We've got uh, Dr. Swanson and Dr. Neville working in North Dakota State University. Uh, Dr. Bayanez um, in Oregon State University working on Paul material for a number of animals. We also work with Dr. Kasula from Wanger Feed Group, who was instrumental with our laying hen application, Murray State, uh, Dr. Parr, working on those broiler chickens. So those guys are incredibly important. And I want to make a connection for our listeners as well that IND Hemp, who was a huge proponent, did a massive amount of legwork for this Montana legislation, is one of our biggest champions. They're also funding the work uh, in the research that's happening at CSU with those lambs. And it's those folks that are willing to put down um, the monies to support the research and then readily share that with the industry. Don't um, force it through intellectual property, but rather use that to bolster our information and to move this along. We just can't do it without that level of support and commitment. So my hat's off to IND Hemp for all of the work that they did in Montana. And then also with the championship, they were instrumental in finishing this first application to FDA CVM as well. And there's plenty of room for other champions who really want a first row seat and access to that research and and want to go down in the history books is helping to make this happen. Um, But you hit it on the head. This is a a group of over 100 different business entities who pay $100 to become members. And then we have our steering committee, those champions, and of course, our board that really make it happen. Just such a heroic team on every single level. And to that end, how can people support the Hemp Feed Coalition, especially when we're talking about that $100 membership and donation, sister? Let's hear it. 
Absolutely. So our goal is to have as diverse a membership as possible. So it's so simple. It's as simple as we could make it to become a member and engage with us and support the work we're doing. You just have to go to www.hempfeedcoalition.org. You donate $100. I watch for those donations. That's all you have to do to become a member. If you believe in what we're doing and you want to have more of a leadership role, you can contribute $300 to join our steering committee. Members can also be on a work group. That's where you really get to influence what it is that we're doing. When it comes to championing research, there's so much opportunity for those folks that, that need the marketing or want the marketing or want to associate themselves with this kind of historical um, cause and the opportunity to really lift hemp into that agricultural commodity space. There's sponsorships and championships that will help us do that work as well. All that information is on our website. But the other thing that our hemp industry members can do is share certificates of analysis from work that you've done either in your processing facility or even on the farm so that we can build that profile to show to FDA CVM that hemp grown across the United States, no matter the varietal, where, how it's grown, can be approved as an animal feed ingredient consistently. That's where we're going to commoditize the byproduct. That's where we're going to have the opportunity to have enough supply to meet the demand to enter the animal feed segment. And we will have these links on our website at podconnects.com. That's P-O-D-C-O-N-X, podconnects.com for Hunter and for the Hemp Feed Coalition. When you get to the Hemp Feed Coalition's website, you'll go to the Get Involved menu option at the top. You'll see Become a Champion, Volunteer, Donate Hemp, Share Data. These are all ways uh, that you can contribute and support the critical work being undertaken by the Hemp Feed Coalition. And to become a champion, you'll see that by donating $100 and you just click the donate box, it gives you an empty box. If you want to donate $100, that donation will make you a member of the Hemp Feed Coalition. And of course, larger donations and then the $300 donation uh, that Hunter uh, just described to us. Thank you 10 million times over from the bottom of my hemp and heart sister for the essential work uh, that you and the Hemp Feed Coalition are doing and for the promise um, that you are delivering on every day as you advance this mission forward. Hunter, thank you for being on Hemp Barons today. Thank you so much for having me and for being excited to talk about the, the work that we're doing. It's fascinating and so important. We'll have you back on again for an update soon. And thank you, Hunter. Enjoy the rest of your month. Thank you. You guys too. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked, the podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your canna confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked, the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts.
and journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.